Hi, I'm Sloan Applebaum, and you're listening to Drinking and Drashing, Tour with a Twist. And here's a fashion tip. Being true to yourself never goes out of style. Hey, Gabe. Hey, Amanda. You know, I've noticed that I tend to be very early for things, and sometimes you are, um, not... Yeah, no, I am, I'm not the most punctual of people. Uh, I am not great at timing all of the time. But you are pretty well-dressed most of the time. Would you agree with that? I try to be. So would those two things, you not being punctual, but you still being well-dressed, make you fashionably late? <laughs> nice. I like that. I'm going to use that. Incredible. Look, I won't have that many bad puns for the rest of the episode, but I am really excited because this particular episode brings in a new lens of looking at our Torah through, yeah, fashion of all things. Whether it's, you know, linen, wools, ropes, threads, gold, silver, crimson, no thread is lost in this incredible tapestry. Wow, I'm excited. Great. Let's get dressed. Nice. is a weird way to start this particular episode, but I'm going to share a secret that I actually really haven't shared with anyone before. So when I was in ninth grade, I got in trouble in high school because I cut a lot of classes. Now, here's the deal. There are people that know that I cut classes. Certainly my parents know, certainly some of my friends know, but the question is, why did I cut class? And it wasn't necessarily because I was doing anything bad, right? Like I wasn't out doing drugs. I wasn't out like hanging out with people I shouldn't have been hanging out with. I wasn't even going anywhere interesting. I skipped classes because I wanted to work on art. Uh, The reality is a lot of the time you could find me in the art studio or in the library working on fashion designs. When I was in high school, I was really interested in possibly going to Parsons in Paris for fashion design. And People, I'm sure, like, where is Amanda going with this story? But the reason that I'm bringing this up is because fashion design actually plays a really important part in our rituals and our roles and things that we do in Judaism on a regular basis. And a huge source for that comes in this week's portion in Tetzaveh. And so we're really, really excited to have somebody that I am so honored to bring onto the show this evening. And so I want to welcome Sloane Applebaum. Professionally, she works in supply chain at L'Oreal, where she manages the global supply for SkinCeuticals, a luxury skincare brand. She works with international customers to help them support and grow their businesses and launch innovative skincare products. Sloan is super passionate about what she does and loves being a part of a business that brightens up people's daily routines and helps build confidence. In her free time, Sloan enjoys sewing, learning and practicing French, and watching football. She is also passionate about travel and especially loves exploring national parks with an annual goal to visit two new national parks each year, and this year she's excited to explore some parks out west in Utah. Sloan studied fiber science and apparel design at Cornell University, which is where I got the ability to come hang out with her, and fashion is still a part of her daily life as she is fascinated by what people wear, why they choose to wear it, and the history of modern fashion. Sloan enjoys following current designers that she is particularly inspired by, including Wes Gordon, Tom Brown, Sergio Hudson, and Sarah Burton. She also loves learning about the fashion trends and designers of the 20th century and the overlap of world events with revolutionary changes in fashion and how often the two go hand in hand. Sloan, it is an absolute pleasure and a privilege to invite you and welcome you to Drinking and Drashing Tour with a Twist. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. I'm super excited to have you here. Gabe, as somebody who also, I would argue, is a big fashion lover, especially when he picks out his outfits every day for HUC, how's it going, best friend? I'm doing so well. Uh, This is not the best dressed I've ever been on a podcast recording, but still happy to be here. True or false, you have an HUC style sweater that you sometimes wear to school on Prospective Students Day. Oh, that's definitely true. It's not actually an HUC sweater. It's just a sweater that happens to have similar shapes and colors to the HUC logo. So I think that's fun. (laughs) I agree. 
And of course, the inspiration behind our favorite piece of merchandise, our This Is My Afode tank top, our executive producer, Edon Waldman, how is it going, fashion guru, Edon? <laughs> I don't know if I would call myself a fashion guru. Um, glad to know I was the inspiration behind that. I, I, not a surprise I knew that. Um, but um, yeah, good to be here. Uh, <laughs> how's everybody doing? <laughs> We're all doing great. I'm going to actually shout this out that while we generally are an audio podcast and we're going to remain an audio podcast, I do want to shout out to Sloan that she is dressed phenomenally while the three of us are all very relaxed in our outfits this evening. So if you will, please imagine that all of us are doing this really dressed black tie like to the nines. We're all very, very fancy for you this evening. We're so excited to get started in talking about fashion and Judaism and the relationship between the two, as well as what it means to actually brighten up people's lives by really focusing on the beauty in what we wear and also with what we do. Let's get started. Hey. Hey, Amanda. You know, I've never really thought about it before, but there is a lot dealing with fashion in our Torah portions. Yeah, in in several different places. You know, I I think the biggest example, you know, the most recognizable would probably be Joseph. But what are you thinking of? So you've got Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, although technically that's like an Andrew Lloyd Webber invention. I know I saw the face. Um, But I also was thinking about the fact that like when you have stories about Judah and Tamar that you're dealing with, you know, a seal and a staff and a cord um, that when you're dealing with stories about Rahav, you know, back, you know, way, way, I think in numbers and Joshua, like, you know, you're dealing with, again, crimson cords that there are things about colors and patterns and just incredible fabrics that all matter. And we don't always think about them. I know your favorite thing to joke about in Taruma is the dolphin skins, but those dolphin skins sometimes play a part as well in the rituals and the roles that we take in understanding the stories that we're telling ourselves and the world. You know, it's it's said that nothing in the Torah is accidental. There's no uh, letter, no spelling that's... Uh, you know, inconsequential. And so if the Torah specifies that there's a certain color or a certain fabric or a certain material that's used, that, you know, we there's a reason for it. We have to look at it. We have to think about it just like we're going to do right now. So last week we built the Mishkan, which contains, among a lot of other things, the menorah. But it's kind of dark, I guess. So we need an eternal light above the inner sanctuary burning only pure olive oil. Who does all of this stuff in the Mishkan? The priests. Who are the priests? Aaron and sons. What do they wear? Well, a whole bunch of stuff with all sorts of symbolism, mostly related to the 12 tribes. As with the Mishkan, there are really specific and detailed instructions on how to make these things. Quick rundown. A bedazzled breastplate. A fashionable ephod. A regal robe. A tasteful tunic with fabulous fringes, a hearty headdress, and a suave sash. The garments should be made of gold, blue, purple, and crimson yarns of only the finest linens. Was all of this fashionable? Well, check out all of the stuff we put on the Torah scrolls. It's all modeled after the priestly garments. Next up, ordination. No, not for me and Amanda. Amanda soon, though, but for the priests. There's a seven-day-long ritual with goats and water and oil and blood and all sorts of other fun stuff. Don't worry, no blood for Amanda. Great, we have priests. What do we do now? Well, they have a job to do. On top of all the special sacrifices we'll mostly read about later on in Leviticus, there are daily sacrifices of a lamb each morning and evening, along with incense, bread, and wine. Sounds like the altar would get kind of gross with all of this stuff happening on it. Probably, which is why Aaron has to purify it yearly. How does he do that? With blood. Makes sense to me. And that's Parashat Titzaveh. I loved the alliteration as you talked through the fashion in, in that portion. I think it would be remiss to not comment on it. Um, but it's really interesting to read about all the rules and the structure that existed in this time when it comes to fashion because it really mirrors a lot of how we still see garments and clothing today. I mean, the big uh, takeaway, I guess, when I was um, thinking about it is there are a lot of rules that have existed throughout our history and who is allowed to wear what. And even though those rules maybe aren't as present in our Western culture today, we still have those associations. When you think about, you know, the the colors and the tones that they wore, we still think about gem tones as regal and royal and, and 
godly and priestly in a lot of ways, and same with the color gold. Um, and I, I think that that association and the way that that still exists in fashion today is just so fascinating. Thank you. I, I think that that's a really important point that we um, kind of overlook sometimes. You know, it's easy to uh, look at the store portion and say, well, the the priestly garments are mapped onto the clothing that we put on the Torah scroll and the eternal light in the Mishkan is mapped onto the eternal light in a synagogue sanctuary. And we can kind of stop there. But it's interesting to take it to the next step and say, wait, these priests are people and they're wearing human garments, human clothing. How does that relate to the clothes we wear today? Um, I- I'm I'm curious, and I think we'll get into this more in the discussion that we have in our main section, but I am really curious about this idea of, you know, what our clothes say about us, what we say through our clothing choices, um, and what it says about the priests when they wear these gems and stones and gold and linen and, you know, all of these very fancy sounding things. So I'm excited to get into it in our next section coming up right now. Sloan, I have always known you to be an incredible student and a really fascinating and just thoughtful leader, somebody who has always reached out to help people feel strong and I would honestly say beautiful and confident in who they are as a person. And so I'm thrilled to see that you are continuing to do that work now in your professional life. And I want to know what what insights, what beliefs help drive your work and your passion for both fashion, but also for the work that you're doing with L'Oreal right now? Thank you. Thank you for that lovely compliment. I really appreciate it. Um, I think for me, what really drives the work that I do, both you know professionally and also in my personal life, is that idea that you can bring out the best in someone else by you know working with them and and collaborating. Um, a lot of what I do is driven by helping others, and in per, you know the professional world, um, a lot of that comes from the collaborative work that I do with my team, but also for the customers that we serve. That's a guiding purpose of the way that I work and the brand that I work for. Um, and in my personal life, I feel very similarly. I am really driven by the connections and relationships I have with the people I'm close to and always looking for ways to build those relationships on you know similar interests. One of them for me, of course, being fashion and sewing. Um, but I, I really am inspired by learning about what makes other people interested and finding mutual connections and building bonds off of that. Speaking of the bonds that you can build in terms of kind of making a brand even, right, a fashion brand or in terms of a communal brand, I think a lot about the fact that clothing can really signify a sense of belonging, You know, there are things about clothing that show what groups we are in, you know, whether we're talking about tartans in Scotland or we're talking about kipote in Judaism, you know, there are ways that these fabrics and these clothes help define our society and also our place within it. I'm curious what you think about when it comes to that. Absolutely. I think that is really the basis of a lot of decisions that drive what people wear. Um, Fashion is absolutely a communal bonding experience, whether it's being inspired by a brand that you love and wanting to represent that brand by wearing their designs or their logos. And then, you know, you're walking around on the street and you see somebody else wearing something from that collection and you think, oh, at minimum, I have something aesthetic in common with this person and that can start a bond. But it's also things like wearing your sweatshirt from your favorite, you know, school that you went to or summer camp that you went to as a kid. And you run into somebody on the street who's also wearing a sweatshirt from that place. Even if you don't know that person, it happens to me all the time. I see somebody in a Cornell hat and I'm like, I got to go see if I have a mutual connection with this person. And so I think that's one of the things that, you know, fashion obviously has a greater reputation for being very luxurious and very expensive and very inaccessible. And all of those things are true. But when we think about what it really means in our day-to-day life, a lot more of it is about connecting with others and finding space in a community and feeling a sense of belonging. And I think that that's one of the most beautiful things about it. 
So I think that's a really interesting point about how we view other people's clothing, how we see other people when they're walking down the street um, and Amanda sees somebody in an Oregon sweatshirt and, you know, passes them and says, Sko Ducks or whatever. At the same time, when I am choosing what I'm putting on in the morning, um, I'm also choosing what I'm projecting. Um, and so I, I'm curious about uh, not only how you see, uh, you know, viewing other people's fashion, fashion choices, how that connects us, but also how when you choose what you put on in the morning or in the case of this Torah portion, how uh, what God commands the priests wear, uh, what that projects to the people who will see the priests or who will see you or who will see me in different ways based on what we're wearing. Uh, how does uh, clothing or how does what we wear, uh, you know, kind of project something out into the world? Yeah, it's so interesting because it really is a, it's a very um, nuanced, I guess, issue. When you think about you know, what you put on in the morning. Everyone is dressing for different reasons, but ultimately we're hopefully dressing for ourselves because we have to live that whole day in the clothing that we choose to wear. So some people look at that decision and they say, I want to be as comfortable as possible and that is what's going to make me feel confident and have the best day. And other people say, I want to turn heads and I want to get a lot of compliments and that's what's going to make me have the best day. And fashion is really a tool that we we get to say when somebody looks at us what their first thought about us is. And it, re- it connects back to uh, the Torah portion in that sense because these are the instructions that were written for the priests. So if you saw a priest out on the street, you would know it because you would see that bedazzled outfit and that stylish you know, robe. And immediately you would say, that guy is important. I'm going to be nice to him. And in some ways, fashion and uniforms that we have today, it it still does the same thing. But it also allows us to choose, you know, to be individuals if we want to break those rules. So I think that's the place where as people grow into their fashion senses, they really learn a lot more about themselves. Do you want to be somebody that, you know, really feels most comfortable blending in and following the current trends and wearing what makes you feel comfortable by Um, sort of not, you know, having a loud statement with your outfit? Or are you the kind of person who having that loud statement is what makes you feel most at home? So Gabe brought up something that I found interesting. You know, Gabe talked about how clothing projects. But one of the fascinating things about this is we get a list of clothing for our priests. And the first thing that we get is something that doesn't project, but rather protects. Um, And so we talk about this thing called a choshen, which is supposed to be a breast piece or a breastplate. Now, you can think of it almost as a military armor. You know, if you're looking at a Torah, the choshen, the breastplate, is this worked metal that looks like protective armor for our Torah that it's wearing on the outside. But the other definition of a choshen can be kind of a sacred pouch, which doesn't feel as chain maily, which doesn't feel as protective but is actually used to protect something within it, um, which are the orim and the tumim. Don't ask me to translate it because there isn't a great translation, Um, but I would say that it protects something sacred. And so I know that Gabe brought up projection, but I'm curious about how we might use clothes as protection. I mean, at their very most basic level, that is what clothing is, right? I mean, when you go out in the sun, you need to be covered so that you don't get burned. That's what clothing does for us. When we go out in a winter storm in Manhattan, we're wearing our heaviest winter coats to protect from the elements. And I think from the very literal sense, there's a lot of applications where we can talk about the way that clothing provides protection for everything from, you know, the military and firemen to the things that we do in our day-to-day lives, choosing to wear a certain pair of sneakers because you know you're going on a hike as opposed to a walk. Um, But I I think it also, in a a less tangible sense, provides protection in the sense that when you feel comfortable in what you're wearing, you're in a way protecting yourself. You're making yourself feel most at home in your body, and that's more of like a a spiritual, emotional protection. You know, it occurs to me that at the very beginning of this Torah portion, we're not talking about the clothing of the priests. That's not how we start. We start by talking about the eternal light in uh, the Mishkan, 
we've spent the last little while talking about building the Mishkan and about the fabrics and the uh, hardware that's used there. And then we talk about how we need to illuminate that space. And all of that happens before we get to, and now let's dress the people who are going to work in the space. So it occurs to me having this conversation about uh, clothing as armor versus clothing as decoration or communication, that uh, this all comes after decorating the sacred space. I am curious about some of the specifics in this Torah portion, uh, mainly around the colors and the fabrics that are being used. Um, specifically, we're talking about linen. We're talking about, uh, you use the phrase jewel tones, and there are definitely some jewels being used. Um, there are also um, colors mentioned of crimson and gold and scarlet and blue. Um, and so I, I'm curious um, what those say to you as somebody um, who kind of lives in this world of thinking about uh, clothing and thinking about uh, color and material choice. What does it say to you when you see all of these really specific uh, guidelines uh, as to color and material? Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely trying to say something. Um, when we think about the history of color and fashion, color really comes from the earth. And so the colors that, you know, at the beginning of modern history were the most esteemed and the most royal were the colors that were the hardest to get. And those were colors like gold, because gold was very expensive, purples, reds, blues, these colors that couldn't just be found naturally in fabrics that were already existing. They had to be dyed from natural elements. Um, and so it, it really lines up with the colors that are referenced here, that if you were walking around in you know early modern Europe and you saw someone wearing crimson or blue, you could kind of assume that that person was of a higher class. Actually, in modern European history, there were laws about what people could even wear. They were called sumptuary laws, and the intention was to keep basically common people um, from having access to the finest colors and fabrics. And so that's why when we you know, look at art from that time and when we even think in our heads about what early history looks like, we imagine the commoners wearing these neutral uh you know, earthy tones, whereas the royals were decked out in these fabulous, brilliant colors. Um, it, it really comes from the practicality of these colors were not easily replicated. They would take days, sometimes months to make a single garment. And so for that reason, only the most esteemed members of society at that time had access to them. So I do think it's interesting. And I, I wonder maybe from your guys' perspective, um, being a little closer to the subject matter of the Torah, what it would have meant for God to be making these orders that the priests get to have access to these special fabrics and that that was a command, a, a, you know, a command from him. I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts on that are. I love that question, especially because I was just writing a note um, that, you know, uh, listeners may not know this, but when I listen or when we're in a conversation, I sometimes get so excited and I know I'm going to forget something. So I'll, I'll note something, I'll write it down and, and then I'm ready. Um, but you didn't know that I was writing this. And so I think two things. One is I've always loved Turuma and Tetzava because they really talk about this idea that everybody has something to give. Um, in this particular portion uh, if you look, if people are following along, you know, as they listen to Exodus 23, um, there is the conversation that all of these instructions are supposed to be given. El kol hakimelev asher miletiv ruach That it's supposed to be with anybody who has actually been endowed with this kind of gift of skill, with this wisdom. Um, and so that anybody who has it in their heart to be able to create something so beautiful is a part of making it holy and making it beautiful. And I always love wordplay in the Torah. And so I promise I'm getting to an answer for you soon, Sloan. Um, but if people just were able to move down quite a few lines, we go through a lot of uh, fashionable discussion here. But if you ended up going to 28, 29, there's a really beautiful moment 
where Aaron is actually instructed that he is supposed to, on this, you know, Hoshin, on this breastplate, have the names of all of the sons of Israel. Um, and it's called, right, Behoshin Hamishpat Alibo, that it is a breastplate of judgment, of decision that he wears over his heart. And at the time that he does that, he's supposed to wear it really bevo'u el hakodesh. When he goes into the sanctuary, when he goes into the Holy of Holies, he's supposed to carry these people with him, these people who have supported the very clothing that he's wearing, like his own fashion designers. And what I realized as you and Gabe were talking about colors and, and gold and, you know, linens and fancy things is inherently they are making a tabernacle also out of their priests. They are making a holy vessel out of the person who is going into this holy dwelling place. And so I think that you had your finger on the pulse of it exactly, which is like this guy was born to stand out. Um, And that like genuinely that there's also this grounding moment of, and yeah, like you also have the names of the people that have gotten him to where he is to like remind him to hashtag stay humble. I love that. I I think that's so interesting because it really does connect it all together. You know, there's the one person who's wearing the finished piece, you know, in a way representing the community, but all of those who helped him get there are represented as well. I think that's really beautiful. Sloan, I know I mentioned before that there was in the the Hoshin on the breastplate, the names of the sons of Israel, the names of B'nai Israel, but also on this frontlet that Aaron's supposed to wear before he goes into you know, the Holy of Holies before he serves God. And also I laugh, by the way, because Aaron is supposed to basically wear bells like a cat so that, you know, God knows where Aaron is so that Aaron doesn't get killed accidentally. Um, But moving away from that and, you know, taking this seriously, if you will, um, there is a line in 2836 that says, you shall make a frontlet of pure gold. You should engrave it on the seal. And on the seal, there's an inscription that says, Kodesh Ladonai, holy to Adonai, that this person, this thing, this outfit is holy to God. And I couldn't help but think about branding and the fact that like, you know, the clothes that we wear and the inscriptions that we have sometimes speak to the brand that we're trying to build. And so I wanted to know if or how this branding might also apply to things that you do, but how this Jewish type of branding also might make a difference in in the way that we see fashion and the way that we see this portion. I love that connection. I I mean, there is a lot of controversy when it comes to branding these days because it is first and foremost inaccessible to a lot of people. And so when you go out on the street and you're representing a certain brand, some people can interpret that as they you know, are separate from me. They can afford something I can't. They live a lifestyle that I can't. But I think that there is also a lot of opportunity for those who are you know, so inclined to do so to really research and understand the brands that you're wearing and choose brands intentionally that represent similar values. And for me, that's a huge part of my fashion journey. I'm really passionate about sustainability and it's so important in in the fashion world and it's um, it's not taken seriously by that many designers. So I intentionally wear brands that I know support a message and share with the world We've got to be more sustainable. We've got to change what we're, you know, where we're going, the direction that this industry is going. Um, and so in that sense, I think, you know, there there's a lot of good that can come from branding because you can say to others, I'm, I'm representing this message and, and that's what I want to share. Um, but I also think it's something that you have to be really careful with because at the end of the day, our personal style should be our own. And a lot of people get caught up in the brands that are of the moment or, you know, the most interesting. But when you take a step back and you think about what connection do I really have to this brand, you don't want to end up just being a billboard for, you know, you know, a, a fancy fashion company. I, I think if we take a step back and think about consumers who are Jewish, you know, the people that we are, you, you do have to make a lot more conscious and thoughtful choices than other people because there are unfortunately a track record of a lot of designers who have been unkind to the Jewish community um, as recent as the Kanye West controversy where people were burning their Yeezys and, and selling them for pennies on what they paid for them because someone really powerful with a really visible fashion name said something really hurtful that made a lot of his you know core customer base sad. So 
it, there's there's always that um, extra step of care I think you have to take when you present yourself to the world and align yourself with anything out of your control. But it does seem in fashion that there is a history and consistent episodes of um, instances where anti-Semitism is unfortunately um, more prevalent than than we'd like to see. I think there's a duality that's like worth being noted here that, you know, we have these colors, these materials that are regal, that are expensive, that are rare, um, that set this person apart, that set this person above. Uh, and yet, as Amanda said, like, this person uh, has all of the names of the children of Israel on uh, the Hoshen. Um, in fact, just going back to verse 12 in that same chapter, 28, Aaron's uh, shoulders have uh, two stones that are meant to represent the entirety of Israel. Uh, it reads, "Venasa Aharon et shemotam lifnei Adonai al chetefav lezikaron." That uh, Aaron has these two stones. Not only has them, but bears and endures and truly carries on his shoulders the entirety of Israel when Aaron stands before God. So in doing this work, yes, um, you know, the, the, these clothes set Aaron apart, but they also allow Aaron to carry the people on his back quite literally in this verse uh, as Aaron goes before God and performs this holy work. That's carried forward once we get to the ordination rituals, which are, just going to be totally honest here, pretty gross. There's, like, a lot of animal blood that's going on, and, like, we don't need to get into it. It's not, you know, an important thing for us to get into right now. Um, but we we have this duality of not only setting apart our leaders, but also... Um, giving them the responsibility, giving them the power to carry the people forward. Uh, so moving forward in our conversation, Sloan, I'm I'm curious if you had one message, one piece of wisdom, one something that you wanted to leave listeners with uh, before they turn off their you know iPhones or whatever. Uh, what's that one thing? What's your message? What's your call to action? Gosh, if I could have two call to actions, one relevant to fashion, I would say the best thing that you can do for yourself is dress in a way that makes you feel authentic. I think it's really easy to get caught up in what other people's opinions are and what other you think other people want to see you wearing. But if you stay true to yourself and dress in the way that makes you feel best, you will live the fullest life experience you can. And my other call to action would be just to be kind to people. I think that is the most important thing we can all do in our lives. This world is challenging enough. So if you can be kind to somebody, that would make my day. <laughs> hey, Gabe. Hey, Amanda. You like reading the New York Times, right? I do like reading the New York Times, yes. Okay, so every now and then, I like to look at some of the New York Times archived stories, and I find them to always have a fascinating, just array of articles to explore. And when I was doing some research for this particular episode, I came upon an article that was published on April 15th, Tax Day, 2011, which says, Fragrance Spritzers Hold Their Fire. So if you've ever been in a department store, big department store, often there are perfumeries or places where people will spritz out perfume samples. And this article was all about the idea that people may not want people to just like spritz them to, you know, anoint them, if you will, with the particular sense of, of the department store if they weren't ready for it. Thoughts about that? Yeah, no, I, I think that I would not enjoy it if I were randomly spritzed with, you know, some scent. That that wouldn't be incredibly enjoyable to me. I, I guess I agree with this mystery New York Times author. So you would say that maybe, for instance, if there was going to be some sort of anointing ritual, it would be voluntary? Um, 
it would certainly be consensual at the very least. So someone would at least opt into the mix or the mixology? I would hope so. <laughs> I see what you did there. You're looking for a drink, aren't you? Just a little spritz. All right, well, this week on Midrashic Mixology for Parashat Titzaveh, we present the anointing elixir. We're going to need a rosemary simple syrup for this drink, so here's how you make it. A half a cup of water, a half a cup of sugar, brought to a boil over medium heat. Once it's boiling, take it off of the heat and throw in two rosemary sprigs and a bay leaf, covering and letting it steep and slowly come up to room temperature. Once it's cooled, strain into a container and store in the fridge until you're ready to make the anointing elixir. We're going to build this drink right in the glass, starting with the blood of anointing. Three ounces of fresh blood, orange juice, in a glass over ice. Next, for priestly purity, one and a half ounces of vodka. Follow that up with a half ounce of your simple syrup and a dash of bitters. If your anointing an alcohol-free priest will replace the vodka with one and a half ounces of lemonade. Either way, top off your drink with seltzer for all the sparkling stuff and stir to combine. Garnish with a slice of blood orange for the priestly garments. Optionally, light up a rosemary sprig for the eternal light and use that as a garnish. Just be sure it's no longer burning when you actually drink. Enjoy! And Lechaim. Wow, that sounds amazing. Blood orange is one of my favorite flavors, so I've got to try that. (laughs) Nice. I had no idea. Like, legitimately had no idea. (laughs) I think if I made that drink myself, I'd have to do a little vodka and a little lemonade, because that sounds amazing altogether, but it sounds delicious. Honestly, I'll take the edit. Sounds great. (laughs) Let's do it. You just made him so happy, Slow. I love a good sweet cocktail. That's what I'm all about. Amazing. Amazing. I will say, quick quick anecdote. Um, I was at a, a cocktail bar once, and I ordered a cocktail that was called the Coco Chanel, being, you know, the fashion fan that I am. And it was the most bitter cocktail I've ever had. You would think that a fashion Chanel cocktail would be sweet and girly and fun, but it was so, so bitter, which is not my taste. So for me, it was terrible. Well, I don't know if we're fashionably early, fashionably late, or fashionably on time, but we have made it to our penultimate portion of our thank yous and our closing cues. So Sloan, Gabe, Idan, I've got to admit, during the pandemic, I was part of the many of us who got used to dressing for the parts of us that people could see on screen. So now, what's one way that we could bring some holiness to our clothing choices? Or, if this is an easier one, how can we make getting dressed a significant daily service to ourselves? Sloane, we'll start with you. So I think getting dressed every day, depending on the kind of person you are, can be a huge chore or a huge joy. And for me, you know, that first period of coming out of the pandemic and getting back in the world, it was really a reset. I got so comfortable in my sweatpants and sweatshirt every day. I just didn't want to put real clothes on again. But I found a way to bring joy back to that process for me by really focusing in on the things in my wardrobe that I love. And a trick that I implemented that has really worked for me is I took a weekend that I had nothing going on. I reorganized my closet. And I put all of the things that I really like in one section, as opposed to, you know, having it organized by pants here, colors, you know, shirts there and and organized by color. I took all of my favorite pieces that I feel really comfortable in. I put them right in front. And every day when I open my closet, if I don't have the, the brain power that morning to think of something super creative, I take out a couple pieces that I know make me feel good. And it makes getting dressed so much easier for me, and it makes me look forward to it. I love everything about that, Um, especially as somebody who has, I would argue, too many clothes to look at. The joke is that I have enough scarves that I could wear a different scarf every day for a month and a half without overlap. Oh, it's okay. Gabe, who's shaking his head at my scarves, 
what say you, my friend, about this ability to bring some holiness to our clothing choices and or, you know, making getting dressed a significant daily service to ourselves? You know, when you first asked me this question, I was really unsure of how to go about it. Um, Because my gut inclination was like, holy clothing, like that, that's about like modesty and I don't want to go there and I don't want to deal with it. Um, Or maybe it's about like getting dressed up for a special event and, you know, we don't want to dress fancy every day. And like, I I didn't, I didn't really know where to go with it. Um, And then I thought about the things that we're supposed to wear every day. Um, And I thought specifically about um, the idea of tzitzit, um, this idea of putting fringes on the corners of our garments. Um, And that's not something that I do. Um, That's not something that most um, progressive or certainly reformed Jews do today. Um, And yet, I think that there's something really special about that practice of having a garment or having something Um, that either internally or externally represents something, something significant. And so whether that's, you know, wearing a shirt that's really special to you because somebody you love bought it, or whether that's, you know, wearing tzitzit or wearing a yarmulke because that reminds you of a piece of your identity that's really important to you. um, I think picking one object or one garment or one something that's you know, got a little extra significance and adding that into either your outfit or your, you know, getting ready routine, I think can make a lot of difference. Beautiful. Idan, our fashionisto. As we are all in agreement about, uh, early pandemic, we all got really, really comfortable just waking up, putting on our pajamas and maybe something on the top half, putting on our pajamas. We were already wearing our pajamas when we woke up. Just putting something on the top for people on Zoom to see. Um, and for me, as someone who en- ended up primarily working from home, not even just as someone you know going to Zoom school or whatever, but really I had to motivate myself to do all my work as a freelancer from my desk. My first instinct as a lazy sometimes unmotivated person is to just get up, brush my teeth, eat some breakfast, and then whatever I'm wearing is what I'm wearing for the day. Uh, and it took it, it took some adjustment, but after a, maybe even a, a month or so, I really started to, I started forcing myself and then eventually getting into the habit of putting on, it doesn't have to, I don't have to dress nicely, but, you know, and, and I'm not even going on Zoom, but really just putting on some clothes that aren't the clothes I slept in really helped get me a bit more motivated and a bit more out of my own head when it come when it came to getting my work done you know just from my desk by myself at home and honestly that's still true I work on site sometimes but a lot of my work I do from home and so making sure I'm wearing the wear not wearing the clothes I slept in which doesn't happen every day to be honest at these at this point in time but whenever I can uh it it whenever I remember to it really helps I really agree with that as well. Um, As I will say, you know, every morning I also try to make my bed, which isn't about getting dressed, but is about just trying to start kind of a new day with something that is special, that's important, that like lets you get one thing done, accomplished before you deal with anything else, which I think matters. So I have two thoughts to this about making style somewhat holy, but also a little bit special and comfortable to you. Um, One is... I think that if you have something in your wardrobe or if you have something that is an accessory that tells a story that is meaningful to you, whether you share that story with someone or not, that can be really special. I wear my my high necklace, my high meaning life, and and a ring that I got on my 16th birthday. I wear it every day. Um, There's a joke about a scarf that Gabe got me that I was too worried about to wear outside because it is too fancy and too pretty to wear outside and get dirty. But I wore it for Zoom interviews for placement because it made me feel like my my best friend was supporting me while I was going through the placement process. So there are small things that you can take with you that give you a little bit of that uplift, that give you a little bit of that confidence that Sloan was speaking about before. The other thing that I will say is sometimes, believe it or not, you can gamify it, right? You can actually make something holy and by 
giving yourself pleasure by making it into a game. Uh, for people that want to challenge their style or, or find it fascinating, um, there was a woman named Hillary Rushford who, for a while, was doing Style Me September, Style Me October, and had, like, every day, like, a special item that you were supposed to include in your outfit. And so I think if you wanted to give yourself that challenge, I mean, she already has some pre-made ones, but if you gave yourself a challenge of, uh, today I want to wear something that helps lift my spirit. Today I want to wear something that I can call my friend and say, hey, I wore that, you know, blouse that you that you gave me when we traded clothes that one time. Then that can be really special and speaks to relationship more than status, right? That's almost a way of projection and protection because it deals in relationships and that can be really special. All of which is to say that I think clothes are a really interesting conversation starter. So Sloan, for people who want to continue these conversations with you, how might they best be able to find or follow you? Yeah, for people who want to continue these conversations, you can find me on LinkedIn, Sloan Applebaum. Amazing. And I, I'll throw it out there because I always love that you have really beautiful things to share. But I'm going to ask any last words, thoughts, concerns, or jokes. I won't make you tell a joke, but I am curious if there are any last words or thoughts on this matter that you want to share with us. Um, all I have to say is thank you so much for having me. This was a really interesting conversation and I love any opportunity where I can connect my personal passions to my spiritual identity. So it was great to be here and I really appreciate it. Thank you. And to push one more pun into the mix, it was a luxury to have you on. Um, we all enjoyed it so much. And I will say it was such a pleasure for me to just get to spend this time in conversation with you again. You know, it's been a while and I, I've loved every second of it. And I, I love, as always, getting to learn with you and from you. Thank you so much, Gabe, for your incredible distilled partial rundown and also your anointing drink, which, you know, hopefully I will not cover myself in because people may not know this, but I manage to spill quite often, though I try not to on my clothes when I can help it. Thank you, Idan, for being the inspiration of This Is My Ephod tank top, which you can get in the Drinking and Drashing store if you go to drinkingandrashing.com. Thank you to all of our listeners. We think you're amazing. And thank you to Andrew, who is editing, I think, his first episode for us uh, this week. We are stoked to be working with you. We're so grateful for you. And uh, yeah, stay tuned for our conclusion coming now. I really enjoy this episode as somebody who actually does like fashion and enjoys ways to, to make myself both comfortable but classic and also coordinated. And I love the use of color. I love the use of shape in order to make myself feel more confident that it's such an interesting thing to think of clothes as a status symbol, as a protect, as a projection, as a protection. I'm not really sure that I've given so much thought to the things that we wear and the way they're designed and how they may speak to the brand that we're trying to build, or even if brand is the thing that we're meant to be building toward. I also think it's an interesting, almost thought experiment, but even to go deeper than that, I, I think it's interesting to examine the ways in which that kind of branding and those projections are more than uh, just a surface level thing. We're not just saying, you know, uh, I want to be seen as somebody who is, uh, you know, wearing something expensive or is very well dressed. Um, but can these projections, these ideas can really have a holy purpose. They can say something greater. Uh, and in this week's Torah portion, we get, you know, that exactly how these, uh, how our clothing can really be sacred. Yeah, and so I'm going to take it back to even a, a little bit different from our Torah portion, but also to a, a modern-day example. So um, I was the chair of the Kalah Committee for HEC. Now, Kalah, for, for months, 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 months ago, we talked about was um, our school's orientation, kind of weekend, except that it's really a Monday through Wednesday, so weekend isn't the right word. But, you know, we go away for a little bit. It's a retreat, I guess. And it was really important to our committee that the giveaway was something that would be long lasting and also special and also something that would tell a message. And so our group decided on baseball caps, that that was the the piece of clothing that they really wanted to create for the HUC community. And I have to tell you, we have a limited edition of them. There were only 100 that were made. And I think 
that there are only two left uh, that have been unclaimed. But I will tell you that watching people wear them at school always makes me smile because it reminds me of not only the story of Kala and, and the feelings that we had there and the community that we started to build there, but also because like that is now a part of their story that is a visible thing that we can see all the time. And Amanda, was it easy to get those hats? Were those hats procured, you know, without incident? No, so actually I'll speak to that too. I talked a little bit during this discussion about the fact that people who are imbued with wisdom and skill, as we read, were invited to help bring their gifts to everything that would make these outfits, these clothes, these breastplates wearable and and meaningful. And so for me, I actually reached back to a connect that I had over a decade ago. Um, Jerry Korn from when I worked at Temple Beth Shalom in New City. So shout out to Bistig when I was there. Um, and they were so lovely and created these really high quality knit caps. And uh, I just have to tell you again, no, it wasn't easy, but they made it so easy for us. And it was such a labor of love and they got it to us on time. And all of these things come into the making and the weaving of a really incredible, fashionable legend that we now get to call our own. And now you get to not only wear that labor, uh, but you get to wear that memory. You get to hold that with you, literally hold it on your head uh, as you go forward. And I think that that's something really amazing. Uh, If you would like to, you know, wear or carry forward a little piece of this podcast, we have some great wearable merch that, may I say, is incredibly fashionable. You can find it at store.drinkinganddrashing.com. And whether or not you choose to wear that merch or you just want to look at it and laugh, we will remind you that This Is My Afode, the tank top, was created for this particular portion and, of course, for our executive producer, Edon Waldman, because he is excellent. But also, we just want to say we're always thinking about you and the things that we think you might enjoy. So come visit our website. Check us out. Check out some of our drink recipes. We know we're a little behind, but eventually we'll catch up. Maybe. We will. (laughs) And for now, we are definitely raising our glasses to you. So, um, wait, what's that word again? Lechayim? Lechayim. To life. Lechayim. Hi, I'm Sloane Applebaum, and you're listening to Drinking and Drashing, Torah with a Twist. And here's a fashion chip, Pringles.